Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Catechism in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's plan of sheer goodness for us, revealed in Scripture and passed down through the tradition of the Catholic faith. The Catechism in a Year is brought to you by Ascension. In 365 days, we'll read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church, discovering our identity and God's family as we journey together toward our heavenly home. This is day 205. We're reading paragraphs 1499 to 1505. As always, I'm using the Ascension edition of the Catechism, which includes the Foundations of Faith approach, but you can follow along with any recent version of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can also download your own Catechism in a Year reading plan by visiting ascensionpress.com slash CIY, CIY for Catechism in a Year. You can also click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily updates and daily notifications. Thank you so much. Just a word of a note uh, for all those who have assisted and supported the production of this podcast with your prayers and financial gifts. Could not do it without you. We definitely could not make it to day 205 without you. Also, you made it to day 205. This is, I've been reflecting on this kind of a lot lately, actually even a little bit this morning, but yesterday for sure, just that sense of, oh my gosh, the number of people, here you are, who just keep pressing play, that that sense of, <laughs> I've talked to somebody recently who said that, yeah, you know, you're, you uh, bring a lot of excitement to the, uh, to the catechism in a year. Sometimes I'm wondering like, what is he so excited about? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I get it. Either sometimes there's a little bit of, there might be some manic in that, <laughs> in that too, in the, in the non-clinical sense, but that sense of just, you know, here we are, here you are pressing play. And taking that next step every single day, which is remarkable. You know, we just concluded yesterday the sacrament of reconciliation, and now we're on to the second sacrament of healing, which is the anointing of the sick. You might notice in your catechism, if you're following along, there are some words to know. Uh, the anointing of the sick, extreme unction, viaticum. The anointing of the sick used to be called extreme unction. It's still, that term can still be used. It's not, that's not, it's not prohibited at all, but it was changed. I heard it was changed because you know, same with last rites. It's, it was changed because the church is saying, no, this is, yes, I mean, yes, there are the last rites. There are those final rites of uh, passing from this world to the next world, where you have that last Holy Communion, Viaticum, where you have that last anointing of the sick, extreme unction. But you can also, I mean, this is a sacrament of healing that it doesn't always end in death. It sometimes actually grants life. And so we're going to talk about that today. In fact, what we're going to start talking about the sacrament of anointing of the sick is we're going to talk about the the foundations of anointing of the sick or even Jesus is healing in the economy of salvation. And so we, in order to do that, we have to talk about the reality of illness in human life. We're also going to talk about the sick person before God. So what, what is it that happens? What is it that sickness, what is it that suffering does to us? What is it that illness does to us? As well as we're going to conclude today, essentially, by reflecting a little bit on Christ the physician. So those are kind of our three movements today. Uh, the reality of illness in human life, who we are when we're sick, when we're suffering before God, and what that does to us sometimes, as well as Jesus Christ the physician. So in order to prepare our hearts for this, let us call upon that same Jesus, the power of his Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father in heaven, we thank you because you have sent your son to heal us, not only to physically heal us, you sent your Holy Spirit to heal us, not only to physically hear us, heal us, you have sent your Holy Spirit, you have sent your Son to give us a deeper healing, a healing that no one else can give. You, you've sent your Son to give us a spiritual healing. You sent your Holy Spirit to reconcile us with you. You sent your Holy Spirit to kill the, the spiritual illness in the depths of our hearts, in the depths of our souls. We ask you, God, this day, uh, give us patience and suffering. Give us understanding. Help our hearts become softer, not more brittle in the midst of sickness. Help our, our wills and our, our minds become more open to you and more inclined to you in the midst of 
our own, our own pain and the pains of others. Help us all to grow in maturity and in trust in you in the midst of our suffering, not in, in despair and not in resentment in the midst of our suffering or the sufferings of others. But please, like you always do, meet us in our suffering. Be with us at this moment, at our best moments, at our worst moments, and at every moment. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is day 205. We're reading paragraphs 1499 to 1505. Article 5. The Anointing of the Sick. By the sacred anointing of the sick and the prayer of the priests, the whole church commends those who are ill to the suffering and glorified Lord, that he may raise them up and save them. And indeed, she exhorts them to contribute to the good of the people of God by freely uniting themselves to the passion and death of Christ. Its Foundations in the Economy of Salvation Illness and Human Life Illness and suffering have always been among the gravest problems confronted in human life. In illness, man experiences his powerlessness, his limitations, and his finitude. Every illness can make us glimpse death. Illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward that which is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and a return to Him. The Sick Person Before God The man of the Old Testament lives his sickness in the presence of God. It is before God that he laments his illness, and it is of God, master of life and death, that he implores healing. Illness becomes a way to conversion. God's forgiveness initiates the healing. It is the experience of Israel that illness is mysteriously linked to sin and evil and that faithfulness to God according to his law restores life. As God said, For I am the Lord, your healer. The prophet intuits that suffering can also have a redemptive meaning for the sins of others. Finally, Isaiah announces that God will usher in a time for Zion when he will pardon every offense and heal every illness. Christ the Physician Christ's compassion toward the sick and his many healings of every kind of infirmity are a resplendent sign that God has visited his people and that the kingdom of God is close at hand. Jesus has the power not only to heal, but also to forgive sins. He has come to heal the whole man, soul and body. He is the physician the sick have need of. His compassion toward all who suffer goes so far that he identifies himself with them, saying, I was sick and you visited me. His preferential love for the sick has not ceased through the centuries to draw the very special attention of Christians toward all those who suffer in body and soul. It is the source of tireless efforts to comfort them. Often, Jesus asks the sick to believe. He makes use of signs to heal, spittle and the laying on of hands, mud and washing. The sick tried to touch him, for power came forth from him and healed them all. And so, in the sacraments, Christ continues to touch us in order to heal us. Moved by so much suffering, Christ not only allows himself to be touched by the sick, but he makes their miseries his own. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. But he did not heal all the sick. His healings were signs of the coming of the kingdom of God. They announced a more radical healing, the victory over sin and death through his Passover. On the cross, Christ took upon himself the whole weight of evil and took away the sin of the world, of which illness is only a consequence. By his passion and death on the cross, Christ has given a new meaning to suffering. 
It can henceforth configure us to him and unite us with his redemptive passion. Right there it is, paragraphs 1499 to 1505. There is so much that is said in this. And I just, ah, this is one of those days, I think, that we're, where we just say, okay, um, Lord, teach me. And our, our, our posture, I think, in so many ways has to be docility. You know, docility is, true docility is, is just being open to being taught that we all come before this day, we all come before God with, with our experiences. We all have experiences of loss and of pain and of illness and of suffering, not only our own, but also the people around us. And sometimes, as we know, it is even harder to experience and witness the pain of others, the illness of others than it is our own. And yet... Here is the church. Here is the Lord teaching us through the church of like, okay, what, what should our posture be? And, and so it, it can be a challenge though, right? Because it's like, we can, we can show up today saying, no, actually, no, I'm bitter. I can, I, when you here, here we are talking about illness and talking about suffering. And I, I look in my heart and I just find resentment. And yet here is the Lord that invites us through the church to let down, let down our guard and to say, okay, what is it that we that's really happening in these moments? So very, very first article, 1499. It just kind of tees up and says, okay, when it comes to the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, what's going on? And so let's just highlight that because that's gonna that's gonna be the thread that continues even after we pass through the reality of illness, reality of this sickness. We're gonna talk about healing. So here's the here's the quote in 1499. It says this by the sacred anointing of the sick and the prayer of the priests. The whole church commends those who are ill to the suffering and glorified Lord that he may raise them up and save them. That's the heart of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. There's the sacred anointing and there's that prayer of the priests. And that comes from James chapter five. And we're gonna talk about that as, as days go on. That is so important. Is, are there any sick among you? Let them send for the priests of the church. Let the priests pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Their prayer of faith will save the sick person. If the Lord, if they've committed any sins, their sins will be forgiven them and the Lord will raise them up. And this is just the, high, the, the core here of the sacrament of anointing of the sick. It goes on to say, indeed, she or the church exhorts them to contribute to the good of the people of God by freely uniting themselves to the passion and death of Christ. So not only is the anointing of the sick, this sacrament of healing and forgiveness, it is also a commendation for those people who are actually experiencing the suffering, experiencing that illness, maybe even death, to freely unite themselves to the suffering, the death, the passion of Jesus Christ. We recognize that that Jesus, we get this in paragraph 1505, we recognize that Jesus, by his passion and death on the cross, has given a new meaning to suffering. A new meaning to suffering. He's not removed it, he's redeemed it. He hasn't taken it away, he's transformed it. But in order to look at this, let's we have to get there. So let's walk through what it talks about here, 1500 and 1501. Illness and human life. Illness and suffering have always been among the gravest problems confronted in human life. And this is the reality, of course. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas, I, maybe I mentioned this recently, I know in some contexts I have, but Thomas Aquinas, in writing the Summa Theologica, write this, this summary of the faith, he asks the hardest questions and, and he answers them. He gives the, the best answer he, can, he could at the time, and he's a genius. One of the questions he said was the hardest, the most difficult question to even respond to is, if God is all good and if God is all powerful, then why is there evil in the world? Like it's called theodicy, right? It's the problem of evil in the world. And it's been among the gravest problems confronting human life. And I love this because it goes on to say, in illness, man experiences his powerlessness, his limitations, and his finitude. Every illness can make us glimpse death. 
just think about this. That think about the fact that you can be anyone. You know, could be as powerful a person in the world. You could be the president. You could be a king or a queen. You could be a, a billionaire, and yet a germ could take you out. You know, a a cold pneumonia. I, I think I remember. I remember being a, a kid. There was this. If you remember the, the there was this book called <laughs> the book, the book and movie, the best Christmas pageant ever. They were telling these kids the story about you know Herod, who had you know slaughtered the innocents, you know, looking for Jesus. He had killed all these all these innocent uh, infants. And at one point, it said the yeah, Herod died in his bed of a cold. At least that was. I don't know if that's accurate, <laughs> but it, I remember the the kids in the book, and then I think they made a movie about it. But the kids in the book thought that was that was fair. That was just that. Yeah, this king who killed all these, you know, did horrible things. And and in real life, he did in rest of his life. I mean, he did additional horrible things. But that he, yeah, a little cold took him out. And I don't know if that's accurate that he died of a cold. But the truth is, every king, every queen. Every millionaire, every billionaire, every every dictator, every everyone, every, the greatest athletes in the world, every one of us, we experience powerlessness and illness. We experience our limitations in illness. Every illness can make us glimpse death. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you don't have a sore throat, you never think about not having a sore throat? But when you have a sore throat, every time you swallow, it's, it's all you can think about. Or when you don't have a stuffy nose, you never think about not having a stuffy nose. You just breathe. But when you have a stuffy nose, all of a sudden, everything, you know, everything has to stop. And maybe I'm just talking for myself. But this reality, of course, that every illness can make us glimpse death. It makes us realize our limitations. It's not just abstract. It's very concrete. Oh, my goodness. This is the only body I have. This is the only life I have. And I am so, so fragile. If you've ever broken a bone or torn some kind of, you know, tendon muscle, something like this, you know what that's like, that sense of, I am not indestructible. And it can make us realize the shortness of our lives. There's something about this though, that illness can, this limitation, right? This can lead to anguish, can lead to self-absorption. It can lead to sometimes even despair and revolt against God. Uh, again, let's think about our, ourselves the last time you were sick. I know that, man, when I'm sick, all I can think about is my being sick. I, I don't want to. It's, it's one of those situations where it's just, yeah, but that's but that's. <laughs> All I can think of is, it, it says here, self-absorption. Man, that's why it's so remarkable when you find people who in their illness are asking you how you are. Because illness can also, it doesn't have to just do that. It doesn't have to lead us to despair or revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature. It can also help a person discern in their life what is not essential so they can turn to that which is. And he goes on to say in the catechism, very often illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. I know that has happened. Again, some people bitter in their illness, bitter in their limitation, bitter in their finitude. And others, if you've maybe heard people say, it makes them, doesn't make them bitter, it makes them better. It, it takes some of the, those edges off. And I've seen this so often that people just, oh, I realize life's not about me. And then they turn to love the people around them. They turn to be more patient. They, they turn to the Lord. There's this, this elderly man that I met with the first time a couple of years ago, and he is now in his 90s. And it took him a long time, but because but, he was powerful. I mean, literally, he was a powerful individual. He was incredibly intelligent, incredibly successful in his career, and just kind of dominated life. I mean, he, there was a wake of brokenness there too, broken marriages, broken uh, family relationships, broken other relationships. 
but it was when he is old age in his limitation and his illness that something happened, something just moved. And, and he had this incredible conversion back to the Lord. And his, and it wasn't just a situation where, okay, I, I feel really bad because I'm coming to the end of my life. And so I probably should clean things up before I have to see the Lord face to face. I'm sure there's some of that, but it was a deep conversion of just, oh my goodness, I have been driving my life by my strength, by my genius, by my, my, my own will. And now in the, I've experienced the limitation of that. And I realize I'm not enough. And he realized I, he, he himself was not enough and it provoked a search for God and he returned to God. In these last couple of years, he has said, and I think it's been two years since his, since his conversion. He's 93, I think he's 93. And he has said that he's prayed more in these last two years and his life is more full of joy, even though he can hardly walk. He can, he can barely walk, but he says his life is so full of joy because yes, illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, even despair and revolt against God, or it can lead us to becoming more mature. We can, it can lead us to trusting in God more. Now, the sick person filled the Old Testament, right? In, in, in Israel, the Old Testament, there are so many stories of people, they just recognize, okay, there's some mysterious way that my sickness is tied to sin. Now, it doesn't have to be necessarily tied to my own sin. That's in the book of Job, when we talked about that. Not necessarily like a one-to-one ratio, where if you've done something wrong, now you're sick to that proportion. No, that's, that's not how it works. At the same time, we recognize that because of sin, the world is now broken. Because of sin, our relationships with God, our relationship with each other, with the world, with ourselves, that's broken. Because it's out of order, there's illness. Because it's out of order, there's suffering. So yes, in some way, every illness is connected to sin. But it's not necessarily that one-to-one, like my personal sin leads to my personal illness. That's that's not the same kind of thing. And yet what, we, what happens is that we realize that we stand before the Lord in need. And that's what the Old Testament continues to come back to because we come before God and he is our healer. Now, ultimately, Jesus is the healer. And, and it's so important that we recognize that Jesus has come and, and in heals. I mean, think about all of the signs and wonders that Jesus does. He heals sicknesses of every kind, every infirmity. And it's a sign that God is close to us, a sign that God loves us, a sign that we can trust God. And he not only has the power to heal physical illness, he has the power to forgive sins. Why? Because he's come to heal all of us, soul and body. He's the physician we need. It goes on to say, though, it's very, very important. Jesus doesn't heal everyone. He did not heal all the sick. That all those who came to him, he, yes, he delivered them from their illness, from their infirmity. At the same time, he did not heal all the sick. The healings were signs of the coming of the kingdom of God. And they announced a more radical healing, victory over sin and death through his Passover. And that's, that's the reality. And he even said this, he said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear those who after killing the body can also take the soul essentially. Fear that one. And so we, we recognize that, that there are graver evils than physical suffering. There are graver evils than even death. We said this, I think yesterday, that sin is the worst thing in the world. And Jesus came to deal with the worst thing in the world. And why? how did he do it? On the cross, he took upon himself the whole weight of evil and took away the sin of the world. And illness is just a consequence of that. No, illness is horrible, but illness is just a consequence of the worst thing. And last thing, last thing to note, and this is going to be something that comes up again and again. Jesus does not remove sickness. He does not remove suffering. He redeems it. He doesn't take it away. He transforms it. 
that Jesus has given illness a new power. And that power is we can unite that illness. We can unite that suffering to his suffering. What did his suffering do? His suffering had the power to transform the world, right? As Jesus is saying yes to this on the cross, he's saying yes to his suffering, not that he wanted it, but he submitted his will to the father's will. He said yes to that moment, said yes to the cross. And in doing so, it actually transformed the world. It actually redeemed the world. It actually saved us. When we are willing to unite our suffering, our sickness, and it doesn't have to be massive suffering or massive sickness. It can be even the small stuff. It can be that sore throat. It can be the stuff he knows. It can be the hangnail. <laughs> it also can be the cancer. It can also be the dementia. It can also be the broken leg, a broken back, broken hip. It can be any aspect of life. It can be loneliness. It can be confusion. Every aspect of life can be united to Christ's suffering on the cross. And in doing that, every aspect of life that we live can be part of the redemption of the world. We're gonna talk more and more about this as, as we continue, but just realize this, that, that this is not a new problem. This is an old problem. At the same time, it's something that wakes us up and something that could make us bitter or it could make us better. It's the kind of thing that could drive us away from the Lord or it is the thing that can spur us on to learn how to trust in him more and more. We're gonna continue to talk about this in the days to come. So keep me in your prayers. I'm keeping you in my prayers. Another way to say it is please pray for me. I am praying for you. My name is Father Mike. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless.